eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm at Premier Scopal, Jared Mack on the show. It's a Monday. It's a dreary Monday, I think, for a lot of people that are Morgan Duck fans because, boy, this crashed hard. And we've got a lot of questions uh, about what has happened in the last, I don't know, 24, what I don't know what day it is, 48 hours, three weeks. Uh, there's a lot to get to. The mailbag's full of uncertainty. Yeah, it's a dreary Monday morning, Matt. I think that's right. And it actually is kind of that way outside, too. It looks like it's early. Maybe it'll clear up. Ah, it's sunny it, at my house, but we well, live in different parts of the, of the we city. Have a, Different parts of the area here. It's uh, it's pretty cloudy. It was just raining, so uh, different over here in the Springfield part of town. Uh, Matt, Jared, how about you for a weather report? I'm just kidding. We don't have to do every, every person doesn't have to report. <laughs> hey, we got the two four seven mug. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to represent the brand. It's uh, it's kind of sunny out here, but I can see uh, plenty of clouds rolling in. So okay, maybe maybe it's that. uh maybe it's a little bit uh sunnier disposition for some of us in different parts of town. But regardless, obviously there's a lot to get to that's not as positive as you'd like to. Yeah. Like if, if things played out different Saturday, we'd be opening this podcast with a preview, looking ahead at a Pac-12 championship game with USC. That's not the case. Or Colossus offensive coordinator. There's a bunch of questions about other coaches, other parts of the game that are problems right now. We're going to end with a basketball question, which also isn't super positive. So I pos- apologize for starting your week on maybe a sour note, but um, I think everybody listening to this understands that that's kind of where things have been, unfortunately. We'll probably spread some positivity at some point uh, in this show. But the first one from at Connor underscore Cook 21. With the departure of Kenny Dillingham, do you think they promote within house or go out of house? What are some names internally or externally that make sense? Does Dillingham hurt? Sorry, does losing Dillingham hurt uh, Oregon's chances of keeping Dante more? Uh, thanks all you guys do hashtag odds and audibles. I'm going to send it over to Matt pretty quick here because he did a Oregon offensive coordinator hot board. It's live on duckterritory.com. Don't expect him to list every name. It is a VIP feature, but if there are maybe a couple names he's comfortable sharing, we can kind of get that out there just to give kind of an idea of a preliminary list. This is you know early on. The, the, the news just broke. Literally, he just finalized the deal like 24 hours ago. So it's not like this is going to be 
a list that doesn't expand or, or you know change over the course of this week. But um, I just had kind of what I thought was a reaction to some of the comments I saw. I was reading the hot board and then looked at some of the comments, and I, I like to do that sometimes to get a pulse of where the fans are. I found it kind of interesting just in terms of what the fans seem to want and don't want. And there was no consensus. It was, it was kind of up and down. Um, some people were open to kind of another Dillingham type, a young up-and-coming coach who's creative, who's got a, a history of, of maybe uh, being with some explosive offenses, maybe has a little history with Dan. And then there were some that, that were, hey, let's get some continuity. Let's just promote Junior Adams, that he's been around here a little bit. Uh, he's, he's called plays at times years earlier at Eastern. He was the you know, interim head coach. I think for a little bit at Washington at one point, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the interim offensive coordinator, um, you know, there, there's let's, let's just, let's just move him up the, the totem pole one, one slot. And then I saw a couple that were maybe more confusing to me that I, I didn't quite understand, but a couple people suggesting what landing really needs. And maybe people will disagree. Maybe they, they are, they think this is a good take, but what really landing really needs is someone who is older, who's been around the block a little bit, who can kind of mentor Dan and tell him, hey, I don't have a good fourth down play, so we're not going to go for it on fourth down, who can kind of get Dan in line um, and who can kind of be that, uh, you know, maybe that voice of reason when <clears throat> when there is that intention to get aggressive, et cetera. So um, kind of interesting, the the just the variety of opinions on, on how this should go or what Oregon fans want and don't want. And I think some of it's reactionary to the last three weeks because – People now suddenly think we don't want another Dillingham. We don't want a, you know an aggressive young coach. We want somebody who's maybe more conservative, somebody who makes the uh, the, the more traditional decisions, etc. Um, but we we're also here not that long ago. Everybody, not everybody, but praising a lot of these aggressive decisions too. So that that speaks to kind of how things change over the course of uh, you know what how losses impact kind of the discourse. But that's just kind of something I thought was interesting. Of kind of. You know, not to frame that as being a consensus because it wasn't, but just some of the things I read were, were kind of varied a lot in terms of what people want. So, Matt, I'll toss it over to you. Kind of what, what are some names or who are some people that we should know early on in this process? Yeah, so first of all, Dan, and we should also mention Marshall Melkow. Um, he is the right-hand man, the chief of staff of Oregon football. I think that is the connection that few people are putting together here. If go back and listen to our podcast with Marshall on this show um, earlier in the season, or I think at like August or July or some sometime yeah. right, right before the season started, and he basically said that his responsibility is making sure that Dan Lanning is prepared for every situation that he walks into. He's you know, hey, Dan's got this big thing to do today. Marshall's in the background doing all the other stuff, making sure it's it's done and ready and Dan can just step right into the next big thing and have all the information. And so this is what this is entails what part of what Marshall's job is is knowing a recruiting but also b knowing the Rolodex of coaches and having a plan in place for when Dillingham was going to to leave. And look the staff knew that this was probably going to happen a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, they didn't maybe definitively know until it got done during the week uh, leading up to Oregon state, but they had a clear indication that he was going to be a primary target uh, names, a bunch of names for his replacement needed to be constructed. And so they've started this, you know, already. 
that Dan Lanning just didn't find out Saturday evening inside Gill Coliseum like we did that he was for sure gone. Um, so that's the that's one thing. So the connection to Dan is important, but the, the connection to Marshall is also important. You mentioned internal candidates. There's two, I think, Drew Maringer, the tight ends coach, Junior Adams, the wide receivers coach. Both have OC experience. Um, Adams was the OC at Western Kentucky. Maringer was an OC um, a couple different places at New Mexico, Florida Atlantic, and also Rutgers. He was also a co-OC at James Madison. Um, neither guy had like massive success though as an offensive coordinator, which to me is probably going to what holds them back here a little bit. Um, but then it's it's going back and trying to find some connections and knowing what guys are are, are connected to Lanningham, uh, Lanning, Marshall, what guys have interest in the job. I think Chip Long from Georgia Tech is a name that is certainly an option that we've heard before prior to Lanning getting here. And now, again, with Lanning here, uh, he has experience coaching under Mike Norvell, similar style with Kenny Dillingham. Um, you've also got, I, I think, Buster Faulkner from Georgia. This is an analyst, but he has experience working with Dan, and he has had really good offenses as an offense coordinator at Southern Miss, Arkansas State, and Middle Tennessee. Um, all were in the top 25 at different points in the season. Um, I would also throw out Kirby Moore at Fresno State. He's the current offensive coordinator. He worked with Marshall um, at Boise State in 2012, and then they were together again in Washington for two years before their careers took them in different directions. So um, there's names out there. It's Could they go out and get a head coach, a guy with head coach experience? Sure, I think so. But that I, I while it feels like a possibility, I, I I first started with connections. And you know, that's one of the first things that Dan referenced when he got here is he had a Rolodex of guys that he knew he felt like were good coaches that he's met along the way. And there's some of these head coaches that are big names that everyone wants to go and hire, but none of them have connections to Dan yet. And this is an important hire, and you have to make a hire that someone you know and that you trust. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt, on making a hire about somebody that, that Dan and most of the staff at least know and trust because all of the staff basically overlaps at some point. They all met here or they all coached there. They all know each other from before, and that seems to be the trend that's, that should probably continue to go into this new offensive coordinator hire. Um, I, I, yeah, like Eric, I read the comments and just kind of get a perspective on what the fans want. Um, to get another – I, like a model of like Kenny Dillingham is going to be nearly impossible. I mean, that was a guy who was offensive coordinator at Auburn when he was like 28 or 29, who goes to be the offensive coordinator at Florida state. This guy was destined to be a head coach. And once he got onto the national stage and was able to, to have his own offense, be able to be the play caller and had, get it, get the players and the type of uh, performance exactly like he, he wanted, it was going to take off. And, so moving forward, it's going to be more difficult to find a guy like that. But I think that they're gonna, there are going to be plenty of options for Dan 
um, like Matt mentioned, he had like in his introductory press conference, he's like, I got a list of people that I, I could go after that I think are good coaches. Um, I'm interested to see what that list looks like in terms of what this next hire will be. Um, I think there's plenty of names like that, that Matt just ran through that are, that are suitable candidates. Um, I think the connection is going to be uh, a huge uh, instrument in terms of figuring out who they want. And I also think it's going to be a young guy. I don't think that there's anything that is indicated by this staff's hiring that it's going to be somebody older with head coaching experience or anything like that to help Dan as a game. I don't think Dan needs help as a game manager. This is what the younger coaching crowd does. They go for it on fourth down, whether people like it or not. It's the analytical crowd that the same issues are going on in the NFL with like Brandon Staley um, and, and coaches like that. But, you know, when it, again, like Dan said, probably a month and a half, maybe two months ago at this point, like I'm going to go for it. We're going to sit here and talk about it and praise it when I get it. And we're going to sit here and talk about it and lament it whenever he doesn't get it. So I think that's, I think going young is still going to be the case here. Um, and I, I think that's the better move for everybody. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of where they land here. Um, I, I do think you guys are both right in terms of tracing connections. I think that's, I, Matt, Matt nailed it kind of in terms of why that's valuable and especially with what Dan has shared in terms of kind of the importance of having those sort of connections. And um, I thought it was notable that, you know, one of the things that really stood out from his first press conference was just that there's a lot of things, but when he had his introductory press conference, you know, almost a year ago was just the fact that when he, I think he said when he was at like Arizona state as a GA, he started compiling that, that kind of right. list on his phone. Um, and I'm just curious to see who's on that list. <laughs> you know, obviously we don't have access to the list. It'd be a great list for Dan to make public, right? It'd be, it would be. Would be really yeah. fun to look at. But uh, I'm just, I'm just curious to see kind of who are we missing. You know, Matt may have nailed it. We might have a, a pretty damn good list there, but there might be a name or two that we're not aware of who pops up here that maybe intrigues people. And I know there's been, as you would expect on our message board, just ample candidates tossed around with mostly just wishful thinking you know this guy would be fantastic kind of thinking but it's gonna be really interesting to see and we'll certainly track this story and see how quickly a process goes i mean matt do you what would you like to you is there a, is there a definitive timeline in your mind of like when you think like what makes sense for getting this done is, is there a rush this week mm -hmm. like so this time last week we were talking about how if they beat oregon state there was going to be a game in Las Vegas and that was going to take away a, a week in recruiting and that you know signing day is just a couple of weeks away and now that they lost you want to be in Vegas but I guess the half glass full approach to this is you can get recruits on campus this week you can host players for official visits and you need you need to make this offensive coordinator hire this week, get this guy on campus, or at least be able to point to him in your meeting rooms on the weekend saying, Hey, he hasn't, he can't talk to you yet because just the paperwork of compliance hasn't gone through yet, but he's here. He signed the deal. He's going to be here. This is what our offense is going to look like. We'll get you on a zoom call with him on Tuesday when you get home and he's in, he's actually starting to, his job on Monday. Um, you need to be able to say that. And you, you basically need to say that to one person and that's Dante Moore, the, the five-star quarterback. 
Um, and I'm not saying you need to hire a quarterback to or an offensive coordinator just to keep Dante more happy, but like there's so much that comes with keeping Dante more happy. And this offense, obviously, you need to pick a, a player that or a coach that fits the scheme. You know, you you trust long term, but if you let this play out for two or three or four weeks you may end up getting an awesome coach, but the short-term ramifications of it happening could be drastic. Uh, so it's a high-pressure situation. And let's also note here, he didn't say he was gone. He also didn't say he was coming back, but Bo Nix is also still floating out there. And if you hire an offensive coordinator and you get Bo, you get him with Bo Nix in, in a room, the next couple of days or the next week or so, and he gets excited about that hire as well. Not only could you keep Dante Moore, maybe Bo Nix does give a strong consideration of coming back to Oregon in 2023. I, right now, I would say go, young man. Go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Your stock is as high as it's ever been. But and we live in a world, and the NIL is, is a major player for a lot of people. And if a big offer comes to him to stay at Oregon for another season. He he mentioned some guys like college football and want to stay in college football. If they get the right OC hire, maybe Nick's opens up to the idea a little bit more of coming back for a fifth season of college football, a second at Oregon. I was just going to – sorry, Eric. I was, I was just going to speak quickly on the timeline of when this needs to happen. And like Matt, it's got to happen within the week. Uh, it needs to happen for signing day, like Matt mentioned, and um, and the and the transfer portal that opens on December fifth. That's going to be a huge caveat in this program, and there's either going to be, regardless, there's going to be a lot of people going and a lot of people coming in. Uh, the numbers will eventually find out by the end of it all. But hiring an offensive coordinator, being able to point to the guy like Matt was just saying, and point to him and be like, this guy right here, whoever this is, is going to be our offensive coordinator for the next season get to know him maybe that sways a couple guys to say maybe that like matt said maybe that sways bo Nix. maybe that sways whoever it is that might enter the transport or is thinking about it after this last season um i think that's critical i've as as matt was talking i looked up the dates of when dan lanning was officially announced when kenny dillingham was officially announced it was six days granted there's probably not a more of a home run higher for for dan than kenny was but i i think you know Dan had a lot of time, obviously, but you know he he can he can work the phones. Very personable individual, and he's got a long list of people. He's coached all over the country. He's met a whole lot of people. I think that expecting this to happen within a week isn't some out of pocket timeline. I think it's very doable. Yep, I was the one thing I was going to say, Jared, was exactly what you said about the transfer portal deal. You you need to have someone, at least as Matt said, in position to talk people off the right. ledge if they're thinking of transferring and then also make pitches to you know prospective transfers of hey this would be an attractive place to come etc so i mean it's going to be a wild month of december by the way we've got prep recruiting we've got transfer portal recruiting we've got the coaching yeah. carousel we'll see i mean another part of this we'll see who kenny's going to fill his staff with anybody in oregon staff whether they be assistant coaches now whether they be gas analysts like who, who all is mm-hmm. going with kenny um you know and, and then who else is going other places i mean it's the way this offseason works yeah, but, you know, this is not the Oregon football staff from what was that about 2001 through 2000 and 
2013, where it was like everybody was here for like 12 straight years almost. I mean, the continuity was incredible. Turnover happens a lot more frequently these days. Just to throw this out there as a joke, Marcus Arroyo just got let go. Oh no, the Fighting Arroyos, absolutely not. You don't, you don't, you don't want to bring him back. He looked a lot. Better. His offenses looked a lot better away from Mario Cristobal. I'm not saying he needs to be the guy, but bring back Joe Moorhead. Let him, let him actually work this year. I'd rather Take him away from Akron. One, one more thing. Oh God. Real quick. <laughs> Um, maybe not real quick. We'll get to this, I'm sure, at a later podcast. And But like Josh Pate said on our podcast a couple weeks ago, the transfer portal is going to be absolutely bonkers this year. I think everybody thought it was going to be crazy last year. It was. It's going to be even crazier this year now that NIL is in full full swing and everybody knows what's going on and everybody has an NIL collective. Um, I just think that those who are listening and those who read our message board should be prepared for lots of names from any school to enter the transfer portal and not to freak out if X amount of players leave because there are X times six amount of players left in the transfer portal to talk to. So it, it I don't know. I don't know what we're going to look like next year, but I will tell you that it'll probably be pretty damn different. Did you guys see what happened with an NIL collective at Kenny Dillingham's press conference? Yes. This is absolutely wild. Yeah. College football. I don't think Eric knows. Uh, Go ahead. I, I was I was uh, covering a women's basketball game and kind of offline most of Sunday. So he is taking questions. It's in the middle of the press conference, taking questions. And all of a sudden, some guy who's – I'm assuming he's a big booster, probably not the like top booster at ASU, stands up and says, I believe in Kenny Dillingham. I want him to succeed at Oregon. I'm committing a million dollars to the Arizona State NIL Collective right now because I want to ensure the best players stay at ASU and the best players come to ASU. What a world. Must be nice. I mean, that that's just – I mean, we already know what's going on, but that's just wild to see so, that. Sounds, sounds, that very, sounds very staged publicity stuff to me, but a good one, right? I mean, like the message is, is – the, the word is, is, is passing, right? Like it's spreading around. It's now – spread to our listeners. Um, speaking of our listeners, uh, from a time perspective, we might want to move to another question because we spent 21 yes. minutes on this one. <laughs> and we've got a couple of, we've got four more to go. So the second one from at Nash underscore Duckineer. Man, what a weekend, fellas. What are the best and worst case bowl game scenarios for Oregon now? Hashtag Audibles. I thought this was important because I think a lot of people are asking the same question. And the answer is, the Rose Bowl will not be happening. Uh, that's that was technically the, technically no. It's that, still a possibility. They could choose. It's not going to happen, but it's they, still a possibility. They could choose. Um, you know, you run through the order here, and and again. So, by the way, there's basically a consensus in the industry that Oregon will go to the Holiday Bowl. If you go through, I went through about half a dozen different bowl prediction websites, and they all have Oregon to the Holiday Bowl, which is played December 28th in San Diego. Do you guys um, want to spend Christmas in San Diego? I, I don't hate the idea of it. I don't hate it, yeah. There are worse places to be, including several that are also on this list of possible destinations, <laughs> including El Paso. Let's not go there. Good Lord. That just uh, shows the difference of lifestyles you and I have. Uh, you two do not have kids. I have kids. I do not want to spend San Diego, uh, Christmas in San Diego. It just sounds nice and warm. Um, it so, does. But, but basically, so the way this works, just to kind of get into it here, uh, 
if USC makes the playoff and if they beat Utah, they'll, they're very likely to make the playoff. That would send Utah to the Rose Bowl. Then I think most people expect the Alamo Bowl would choose Washington in part because Oregon was just there. Um, and the Alamo Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, and the Las Vegas Bowl, which are the three after like the top three after the Rose Bowl for the conference, all have flexibility in terms of being able to choose one school over another. It doesn't have to be based on a conference record. Um, they have to be within one game of each other, so they don't have like they couldn't just like pick like, hey, we're going to take Washington State to go to Alamo Bowl. Um, they'd have they have to be within certain re- frame of reference here. But most people are expecting uh, college football playoff USC. You actually kind of want to root for USC if you're an Oregon fan, I guess, technically. So they go to the playoff because that moves you up a rung. Utah likely to the Rose, uh, Washington to the Alamo Bowl, and then Oregon to the Holiday Bowl. And then after that, it gets kind of crazy with the Vegas Bowl, Sun Bowl, LA Bowl. Um, and then there's a couple of other weird bowl affiliations that are going to be a little bit less clear right now in terms of like where exactly they go. But the consensus right now seems like the Holiday Bowl. I've seen several different opponents from the ACC. This is an ACC Pac-12 bid game. I've seen Florida State. I've seen Duke. I've seen North Carolina. Um, it would be really interesting to kind of – the Florida State connections would be interesting. I wish Miami could be in this because that would be far more entertaining than any other option, but that's not going to happen. Um so, no, that's kind of where it runs down. I think you should probably expect Holiday Bowl. That's probably best case. I mean, I guess Alamo Bowl would technically be best case in terms of the, the caliber of the bowl. But Oregon was just there, and it seems pretty unlikely that the Alamo wants another Oregon, especially when they can pick between Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, even, and, and UCLA, who are all kind of all nine-win teams. Uh, Washington has ten, actually. Uh, so that's kind of where that plays out. And I guess worst case... Maybe the Holiday Bowl picks Oregon State or UCLA over Oregon, and Oregon could end up in the Vegas Bowl, which would be played on December 17th in Las Vegas. The Sun Bowl would be the bit after that. That's December 30th in El Paso. I'd be really surprised if they end up in the Sun Bowl. Um, but I think I think between the Holiday and the Vegas Bowl, it's probably where they're headed, and I think it's probably 75% they're going to be in San Diego for Christmas. Yeah, I actually – just I had some travel credits from my trip to Vegas this week. Oh yeah, yep. And I just transferred them this week to uh, San Diego for a potential bowl game. So I'm like already booked in. Now it's just waiting to see if it happens this weekend. I, I think you're right, Eric. They, San Diego's the first choice, I think, and then Vegas. I, that's the one I'm rooting for. We get football done before the holidays, and we get to spend an entire week in the most glorious place on earth. Is that Eugene? Most glorious <laughs> place on earth. Good Lord. Uh, I don't have anything else to add because <clears throat> there's not a whole lot else to add. It's just if this happens, then that. Um, yeah. I, guess, uh, I guess San Diego would be nice. I wouldn't really mind that. Yeah. The, uh, the, I've, uh, I've looked at the hotel too, by the way, for the media. I mean, this is – our world. I mean, the, the listeners do not care about this at all. So let's keep but, telling them about it. Let's keep telling the podcast uh, audience the, about the it. The media hotel oh, is God. right on the ocean in San it's Diego. It's at Petco oh. Park? Why? It's what? it's right on the ocean, and you get fabulous views. Mm. I checked the media rate, Eric. It's very good. Oh, I like to hear that. High possibility all of us are going. We're doing it. San Diego, Ooh. here we come. <laughs> 
San Diego, Petco Park. The only thing that could spoil our San Diego holiday getaway, guys, is uh, maybe if USC loses to Utah and then things get moved around a little and bit. We just guaranteed that they're going to go to El Paso. Yeah, if they go to El Paso, <laughs> I'm going to be, oh, man, the podcast on Sunday when we do a El Paso, oh, it's going to be rough. Uh, all right. Last question before the break from at Sparkor2. <laughs> El Paso, please no. Uh, that was not the question. That's just me uh, continuing to <laughs> get really sad about that prospect. Uh, what is the future with Tosh Lupoi? I believe he has underperformed this season with the level of talent on the roster. Is Tosh still a good fit going forward, or are we potentially looking to make some changes? Um, well, I do think we saw some changes made towards the end of the season. I know Dan hasn't like actually come forward and, and set and forth and said anything definitive, but it did feel like he had a bigger role in terms of in-game management, maybe play calling um, towards the end of the season. Uh, I Tasha's contract is what, what, what is it again? I think he's making like $2 million, isn't he? Like it's a million and a half. Close to $2 million a year. Yeah. I, I think that's a lot to move off of for a coordinating position here. And maybe it's not, um, I, I'm not obviously. It's hard for me to sit here and be like he's done an awesome job because the two games they lost this in the last three weeks, the defense played really poorly when the game was on the line, and then two completely different. Fa- that was the thing that made it so f- kind of infuriating is against a really good pass offense they got burnt, and then against a really good run offense they got burnt, and it was just kind of like can't stop the pass, can't stop the run when the game's on the line against rival teams. That's not going to cut it. And I understand frustration. I also don't know if moving on from him is maybe what you want to do. You can maybe restructure some of the, uh, you know, decision-making processes in game, maybe leading up to the game. I know that sounds kind of weird if you're paying a guy a bunch of money. So if you don't want him to be calling plays and be your defensive coordinator, just move on from him. I also feel like it's a, maybe a little bit premature to me. I, I don't know. I mean, Dan, Dan also strikes me as someone who's very forward thinking. So if he goes, nah, Tosh is a bad fit. Let's move on. He might be the per- type of kind of leader to do that. But I, I haven't seen enough where I'm like, he needs to be fired now. They're going to make a change now. Um, that's not to say I thought the defense was good because it wasn't. It was pretty pathetic at times, especially this, I, this last – I still can't get over. I mean, I've kind of – everybody who's asked me about the game, my first response to the, kind of what happened, my first response has been they led by 21 points and the other team scored 28 without throwing the football at all. Like that, that yeah. just – I don't know how that happens. Um, so – I, I, I guess my answer is I, I, I don't expect him to be fired. I could understand why some people would think that. It feels a little bit early. One year, I'd like to see him maybe have another year with, quote-unquote, his guys and with what Jared was saying earlier, what Matt was saying earlier about the transfer portal and how easy it is to now kind of transition from Mario Cristobal recruits and players to now, quote-unquote, Dan Laning players and recruits. You could reshape this roster more quickly and maybe expedite the process, I think, that is probably what you see is a, a huge overhaul of defensive player talent. I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at the roster to start next season um, and compare it to the roster now. And you're like, wow, there's like four returning starters from last year's defense. Like it's just a completely different unit. And then you say, well, now Tosh has an opportunity with his guys. How does that work? Does it work out better? Does it not? Um, but I, I don't personally, I don't think it's time to move. Um, I don't expect them to move, but I, I guess I'm also in the place of it. If anything is bad enough to, to to move on from somebody, like last Saturday probably qualifies as something to at least make it kind of go, ah, that was, should we, is this the right direction? 
I, I, I agree with you, Eric. I think it's just too early. And I know this season the defense has not performed well, and we've talked about it plenty of times in this podcast. And the guy to blame when the defense doesn't perform well is the defensive coordinator, as that is his job for the team's defense to perform well. But I think it's too early. I mean, we've talked about this on the on the podcast plenty of times. Um, the players, uh, when when I think it was on the Mailbag podcast when we were asked whether after Washington whether it was the scheme or the players. And I think it has a little bit to do with both, but I still think the scheme works. I still think that that has shown that it has worked. It's the same type of stuff that Dan ran at Georgia and that that four two five. Um, I, I think that like that thing that stuff works, and you see it. You saw it against Utah. It, it can work effectively at points. It just doesn't feel like the right personnel are in this grouping for Tosh or for Dan or whoever is really in charge of calling the plays. Um, and I think you saw that on Saturday. I think there wasn't enough meat up front. I think they have they kind of found something with how they played nickel and how they had Christian Gonzalez kind of roaming around playing all the time. And I think they found something through the passing game, which they didn't have against Washington. And then Oregon State just took advantage of that because that's one smaller player on the field with three corners rather than two. Um, they, yeah, they got to make an adjustment against Oregon State on Saturday. But, you know, it, it, it's been a tough season all year for the defense. I think – Given the transfer portal and this year's crop of recruits, you know, I'd like to see what Tosh does with the team next year. Again, it's a lot of money to move off, and I know that there are plenty of teams that are paying millions of dollars to coaches for buyouts. But it's year it was year one. I mean, Dan Lanning, same reason with Kenny Dillingham. He was on the top of his list for or Tosh Lupoy was on the top of of Dan's defensive coordinator list for a reason. Um, I think you just give him time. I think this is a guy who a lot of schools tried to poach from from the NFL, and he finally came to Oregon with Dan rather than Mario. Um, I think it's just something that maybe after next year, if this question comes up again on a mailbag podcast, um, then it's then it's a problem. But I think you give him time for now. And I know it's been a full season of time, but um, I think you let him get some of his own guys in here and then really see what the defense does or doesn't do. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Auburn has the reputation that it does of being an extremely toxic place because they pay gobs of money and then say, just kidding, we don't like you anymore, 18 months into a, a job and fire you. And next thing you know, you've got a school like Auburn paying like five or six coaches, whether it's head coach, coordinator, assistant coach, not to coach your team. And you're like three years removed. Um, five, there's something wrong. It's, I, I don't think it's just Oregon. It's just the society. Like if something isn't working, your first reaction is he's, he totally sucks. Get rid of him, you know, within a year. And yeah, if, the, if there's not marked improvement next season, then you need to look at things. It's two years, but one year cycle. And it was very clear that while we were all expecting the defense to maybe be the strength of this unit, we were all pretty wrong. Um, The talent level at Oregon along the defensive line, I don't think is very good. And what, what were they supposed to do? They, they kind of had a lot of the same body type, guys and very few whether it was linebackers that could work in coverage or if it was um defensive linemen that could get pass rush and you know the portal is a very quick fix and we will learn a lot about the defense next season because of a player improvement b a better understanding of scheme with the guys that are currently on the team back next season and then see player acquisition, the guys that they bring in between now and next season to address these issues. So it's way too early to, to, to move on from Tosh, especially with the money that you're paying him. Oregon is not in the Big Ten. They are not in the SEC. They do not have the boosters that some of these high-profile schools have. Yes, they have the best and Phil Knight, but he has never been one to call in and say, I want to pay this guy's buyout because he's not good. He, he needs to get out of here. He's never been that guy. One last thought before we go to break is also of is it beneficial for the program to bring in the new second in command, you know, offensive coach, new second in command, defensive coach? I mean, like you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, one offseason. That type of turnover is to me sometimes not a good thing um, in terms of you're now redistributing everything. A new defensive coordinator likely wants to also bring in new members for his staff, just like you might expect to have for the offensive coordinator. So I just think there's what we're talking about doing here is now you have this assistant coaching staff is is completely reshaping it entirely. And I'm not going to pretend like the defense was good. Um, This is also a team that just won nine games, was extremely close to winning 11. Um, Does it feel like you need to completely re- overhaul every part of this offense and every part of this defense, which is what happens when you get rid of an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator and, and have to hire a bunch of new assistants. So I, I think that's just another kind of part for me. Of it. I don't know if it makes sense to do both for one offseason, which is why I probably kicked the ball down the or kicked the can down the street a little bit, in part because I'm not sold. Tosh is the sole problem here. and I want to see what it looks like with uh, 
more of his guys, quote unquote. So I think that part probably also just should be said of it's one thing to make a defensive coordinator change. It's another to make it the same year as the offensive coordinator change. Right. And the, going into the second year of a head coach where all these guys have been here for only a year, it just feels premature to make that many overhauls unless Dan gets to the point where he says this is just this can't be fixed and we need to move on, which I, I don't think they've reached that point personally. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish the back end of this Austin Audible's mailbag. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, Eric's got a couple more questions for us to divulge, and hopefully it's some of it's good, positive discussion, I think, uh, maybe, please. Matt, you saw the questions. You know what they are. No, it's, <laughs> they're not. The last question, we'll let you, we'll, I will let you maybe turn that into a, a positive because it's a basketball question. They did just win a game, but uh, this one's not positive at all. From at WTD forever. What in God's name is going on with Oregon special teams? Yeah, not positive, Matt. They're uh, not good, guys. Outside of the one bright spot, Camden Lewis, it's been terrible at best and terrifying at worst this season. What do you think is going on and what's the fix? Hashtag odds and audibles. Just to, before we even jump in here, like statistically, this is just a disaster. Um, yes. Oregon is dead last in the Pac-12 in punting and kickoff returns. They are 11th in punt return coverage and kick return coverage. They are ninth in punt returns, uh, and that was increased over the last couple of weeks by some sort of decent Chris Hudson returns, or else they would be like they were dead last in that, like before the Washington game. So, um, yeah, they this was a this was a deal where remember how much in the spring we talked about the Joe Lorig hire, and he came in and said that you know he addressed some of these statistical pitfalls last year that were just like. How do you guys feel about being the 108th best kick return coverage unit in the country or whatever it was? And, we, you know, we got to treat this like we treat offense, like we treat defense. It's got to be treated with the same equity. They seem to do it in practice. I mean, I'm not saying that they seem to, like, be awesome in practice, but they devote a lot of time in practice, right? The first period that Jared and, and when Matt was coming out earlier in the year that we got to watch every day was a, was a special teams practice period where they worked on all sorts of multitudes of, of special team things over and over and over again. So the fact that you've got issues in basically every one of these areas is extremely concerning. Um, Joe Lorick's track record is excellent. The thing I would say is the punting and kicking situation, like kickoffs and all that, I think they just missed on the personnel part that's not going to fix all of it, right? But, I mean, Oregon averaged 37 yards per punt this year. They had four different guys punting. And then the final regular season game, a guy so <laughs> was the worst. Like, it didn't get better ever. The punting actually probably was, like, at its best early on in the season. And then they made a yeah. couple of changes. And I'd actually be curious to know going back and looking at it, like, do you, what, do you regret moving away from some of the guys early on? I mean, the numbers weren't great, but maybe, I mean, it couldn't have gotten worse than it was at the end. I don't know what the fix is at punter, but to me, it's clear it's portal. You're going to go out and you're going to hit the portal hard for in terms of punting. Um, you've got Camden Lewis, who's a great you know field goal kicker, 
kickoffs, he's done a little bit of kickoffs at the end here. Like, I think you don't have to worry about replacing him for the upcoming season, but you need to find a replacement after that. And I think you go out and you try to find another guy who can handle kickoffs too. I mean, I think there were moments where Andrew Boyle was, was pretty damn good, but mm-hmm. it wasn't great at the end of the season. And whether it was because of injury or something else, he did not finish the game against Oregon State kicking off. And you had Camden Lewis who kicked one kind of short that was returned to the midfield. So um, there's a lot of things from a kicking perspective. I think the coverage and return stuff is frustrating. And I I just think that goes back to the the thing I've said recently that is probably surprising, but I think team speed isn't great. I don't think this is a particularly fast team. And those are the type of things that happen in coverage and returns of you, you, you know, Mario Cristobal was here for, four years and he reshaped the program from one that was known for being uh, explosive and fast to one that was known for being big, strong, physical. Now, those are fine characteristics, but there is a trade-off. And I don't think I look at this roster the way it's comprised right now in the last couple of years, and it was an issue under Mario and an issue, an issue now, as being particularly fast. Like There are certainly individuals who have great speed, but a lot of them, there aren't a ton of them, and a lot of the, the fastest guys are the, the, the freshmen. They they went True out. Freshmen, yeah. That was the thing that Dan talked about when he got here. Was they went and they signed I think six guys, five or six guys who ran sub eleven in the hundred. Um, a couple of those were linebackers, some secondary guys, some receivers. And they got a lot of speed. Now it's a matter of maybe developing that. So uh, what what is the fix? Well, I think it's again a lot of this is personnel related to me. Yeah, like it's going and getting improving. You got to get a better punter. Um, You've got to go find a long snapper, maybe. I mean, I don't want to toss any too much shade at Luke Basso. We don't know what he can do. Carson Battles is actually one of the other real positives here, and he's going to be gone. Oh, yeah. Him. I was going to mention him. Stole my thunder. Yeah. Well, sorry, bud. Uh, and then the, the other part is just getting more team speed. And I think that, again, that's going to probably be a, a, a bit – I'm not probably – it needs to be a focal point for some of the defensive back additions that you make because I thought throughout the season – especially at the end, it became really very obvious. Oregon just lacks speed at safety. It just didn't have a lot of speed in the back end, and that was a problem throughout. So I think you can kind of pair all of that together of you want to get faster across the board for defense, for offense, and that'll help you on special teams. But, I mean, that, those are those, those are the type – I think personnel stuff is key. And then I, I'm not a special teams guru, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I, they should switch from one way of doing special teams to another. Um, Joe Lorg has a great track record. I'm just going to trust it's going to get better eventually, which I, I, I wish I had more insight into that. There's a listener or somebody on the message board who hears this and does have special teams expertise. Feel free to kind of weigh in and give me some insight into what needs to be done from your perspective. But um, I, I don't have that insight. And I think I'm more than anything, you just need to get better punters, better kickers, and, and a little bit more team speed. Yeah, this is all personnel-based, at, at least in my opinion. Um, there's a reason why Kamari Terrell is a true freshman is like has been Oregon's gunner for the entire season is because, well, A, he's the fastest guy on the team, and B, there's nobody else that comes close in terms of just his straight line drive speed. Um, but that's a true freshman, and there wasn't anybody else on the roster who kind of compared to what he can do in the open field as just being a burner and getting down the field and maybe getting there in, in, in punt coverage. But, you know, they have – no disrespect, but they have, you know, Bryce Betcher, who is a walk-on safety um, as, like, one of their main guys on, on special teams. And granted, Bryce is a, is a good athlete, but, again, this is a this is a personnel thing. And, you know, I, I talked to my dad about, about this, about the Oregon State game afterwards, and 
just like Clemson and how they lost, special teams just was an absolute disaster. And it kind of has been all season. It just hasn't snowballed like this. There just hasn't been a, a muff punt or something like that. Um, I, so uh, as, as, as I was talking to my dad, I, I basically just told him, like, you know, they, they brought in two punters and two kickers and ended up in the transfer portal. And then all four of them ended up being punters at one point during the season. Um, so that's never a good thing. If you have two punters, you don't have one punter. If you have four punters, you sure as hell don't have a punter. And so that's going to be priority number one is just getting a punter. Um, I think Camden did, a, did an excellent job in field goals. Obviously, Carson Battles, like we mentioned earlier, was an excellent long snapper. Uh, Boyle was was pretty darn good as a kickoff specialist, too. He had those two kickoffs against Washington, but a big picture scope of the things. He was a good he was a good kickoff specialist for Oregon. He put plenty in the end zone, didn't allow a lot of returns. But, you know, with, with Lorig, I, I firmly believe once he gets his personnel in there that he can do better. Um, the when during spring camp or at least fall fall camp, the very beginning of it, when he was like, you know, we take this very seriously. We got to look at how we're this ranked in the country. Um, Oregon's 116th in both net kick return and uh, kick or punt re- punt net and then kickoff return. Both 116th in the country. Bad. Just not good. Um, they they just need to replenish most of their special teams personnel, especially at the punting position, because it's just been an unmitigated disaster. It's not much more for me to say, because um, then you'd just be being mean at this point. But true. They were not good. They need to be better. They were terrible. Get better. Heard it here first, folks. <laughs> You're on mute, Eric. And I'm not on mute. All right. Last question. We're going to toss this right over to Matt. From Big O-Duck, what's going on with men's basketball and injuries? What are the expectations for this team? We should note, Sunday was a good day for the basketball teams. Both had bounce-back wins. The women beat Michigan State. And the men who are exceptionally shorthanded, Matt. You can kind of get into the details of it because I'm having a hard time tracking it. And I was looking at the box score and like walk-ons are starting. Beat Villanova, which was a nice way to end a weekend that had a really awful start with both the men's and women's teams losing their games Thursday, Friday. Women did play Friday, but the men did. And then obviously the rivalry up at Corvallis for football. Uh, Oregon men, three and four. They have... I feel like three quarters of their roster is injured. Like, I mean, what, what what more is there to say, Matt? I mean, kind of lay out what the tenor is and kind of where things are right now for this program. Uh, it is as bad as I've ever seen to the point when Friday night, um, Nate Biddle and Infale Dante left the same game with injuries. And going into that game, um, Tyrone Williams was – in a boot to start the game, we asked Dana, hey, these three guys are now hurt. What's the status here? How long are they going to be back? And Dana basically did what I just did. And it was like, guys, it's getting so bad. We, we're laughing at, at just how bad it's getting. He's not laughing at the fact that guys are getting hurt and he thinks that's funny. It's just how ridiculous the injuries have become. I've never seen this happen Look, we said last year Oregon football was decimated by injuries, and this is worse. Um, 
So to recap, uh, Brandon Rigsby has not played this season. Jermaine Cousinard has not played this season. Keyshawn Bartholomew has not played in the last three games because he suffered an injury in the first half against Houston a week and a day ago. Nate Biddle is out with a foot injury. And Fale Dante, we think, is concussion protocol. He collapsed on the, the court uh, against Michigan State in the first half. Um, Luke Wurr had not made his debut until this week. He was cleared to play on Thursday and then on Friday had to go into the game. No practice um, because of injuries. Um, Ethan Butler is still out. He's on scholarship and he's hurt. Oregon has more players hurt than healthy right now on scholarship. They started Gabe Reichel a walk-on against Villanova in the win. Now, it is getting better. The good news is coming. Uh, Tyrone Williams did play like 12 minutes against Villanova off the bench. He is expected to continue to get healthier and healthier and be available moving forward. Brennan Rigsby went through a full pregame workout ahead of Villanova and then did not play. But Dan Altman said that he should be back this week, which is really good news. He said it's going to be rough because he hasn't practiced since like early October. Um, but he made it very clear that he will help this team. And I don't want to overhype him, but Dan Altman never really does that. Never really comes out and says a guy who's never played a single minute yet at Oregon is going to be really good eventually. So I think they're really high on Rigsby's impact. And then Altman was very optimistic that um, Dante would be available at some point this coming week when they play Washington State at home and UCLA on the road on Sunday. Um, half glass empty. They're three and four. They've not looked good. Um, they've struggled mightily in some games. Half glass full perspective. This team has not played a game yet with its full roster, and they've not been able to play a style of basketball because of injuries for how they, they constructed this roster. So if they can get healthy, and as Dana Altman said, tread water through the month of December and get out of here with one or two more losses this month, preferably one or fewer, um, and go into the new year, you have a path to putting yourself in a position to get to the NCAA tournament. I'm not going to say they're going to get there if they win 14 games in league. It, it's an unfortunate scenario where the season has been decimated by injuries so bad so quickly that they've really put themselves in a tough hole. But you can at least give yourself a path out if you can kind of tread some water here for the next six weeks. As Matt said, the men have a – couple of conference games this year uh, in, in the month of December, both this week, and then they'll go back to non-conference play for about four more games. They play Washington State Thursday in Eugene. They play UCLA on Sunday in Los Angeles. The women uh, host Portland on Saturday before playing uh, Oregon State in their December conference game at Matthew Knight on December 11th. So I think we're going to have a basketball-centric podcast later this week. 
we haven't kind of mapped out our week yet for a podcast because it's been interrupted. We've been in such a groove where we do that we know exactly how the week's going to go for podcasting. It's been interrupted now because Oregon football is also on an unexpected almost yeah. uh, change of schedule. So um, expect something later this week. I'm not sure we're going to split it up. We're going to do one podcast, but we're going to do some basketball kind of recap of where things are at. And we'll have more of Matt's thought on the men's team, more of my thoughts on the women's team. Jared can kind of weigh in as well, uh, and, and we'll kind of go from there. So we'll have more basketball content. I'll start taking center stage here uh, a little bit more as we get into the month of December. I've got some some thoughts on the basketball team right now, if I'm allowed to share them. Uh, Matt, mm -hmm. is that acceptable, Matt? Yes, okay. absolutely. Matt, I, had, I had more fun watching the Sunday game than, than, than I think any game this season and than any Oregon game for a while just because of – I, I don't know. I think while the injury situation is extremely poor for Oregon's chances of getting into the NCAA tournament because they just have to you know, weather the storm of them, it's fun to watch Will Richardson do what he does best, and that's just isolation basketball and just scoring. Um, I, I, you look at that, I, I'm, I was very uh, intrigued to see how good he was because last season he tried to do this a lot and just wasn't that effective. So far this season, he and Chloe Ware have been uh, pretty darn effective, maybe not uh, efficient, but they've been effective. And I thought that Oregon's win over Villanova could be something that kind of swings the momentum of things where, yeah, they're down to six or five or six scholarship guys. They got Jimmy Cooper. They got <laughs> Michael out there. They have uh, Brady Paris, all the walk-ons represent um, all getting actual meaningful minutes in a game against Villanova. You know, uh, uh, you know, one of the better teams in the country in the last 10 years, um, I know that they're they're also injured, but you know they won that game with. You know, I know that the only the final scores they won that game by a few points, but they were in control for most of that game. And Matt, I know you were there with you and seven of your closest relatives and friends <laughs> in the crowd because nobody went to go watch a game. But um, that was a that was a good little little butt kicking by Oregon over Villanova with you know Reichel attempting seven three pointers and only hitting one of them. Um, you know, Will Richardson was good. I know that the, the weekend in general didn't go exactly how Oregon wanted it to, but I, I thought the emergence of Chloe Ware, who's, who yeah. seemed to be have, or uh, Dana seemed to have given them the green light now that Nate and Nafale Dante are out. Um, he's damn good. And I knew, I knew he was a big five-star freshman coming in, but um, his ability to stretch the floor, play defense, grab rebounds, um, just be a, a pest and be able to move really efficiently off ball is impressive. Um, and again, Richardson was, was really good. I still think that they need, um, another guard to step up and kind of give, give the ball handling opportunities away from Richardson, just cause he'll, you know, he's played Matt. How many, how many seconds did Will Richardson not play this weekend? Um, uh, I'm doing the math or was it minutes? 30, that, I, 36 seconds. He did not play yeah. between, <laughs> um, yeah. Sunday and Friday. He played 30 minutes against UConn. Mm -hmm. But Dana Altman very quickly said at like the 10 minute mark of the second half, we're down like 18. Um, we're going to need to play Will 40 minutes every other game that we have. We're not coming back in this game. Will, you come out. And they played Brady Paris and Gabe Reichel almost exclusively. Let's go. Uh, in that second half Thursday night against UConn. Um, I think these might be the two best games we've ever seen from Will Richardson uh, They're up in, there. In, in his career because 
Against Michigan State, 40 minutes. He had two turnovers, eight assists, 28 points. He shot almost 50% from the field. And they had a chance to win this game in the final minute. And they were playing with four scholarship players for the last second half of the second half, the final 10 minutes. And then against Villanova, 39 minutes and like 16 seconds of play, 19 points, eight assists, three turnovers. He shot almost 60% from the field. Just, I mean, Dano even said it himself afterwards, like the best leadership he's seen from a player since Eugene Amarui, Peyton Pritchard, or Dylan Brooks. And he said, we haven't had that type of leadership on the court since Eugene Amarui was here. Um, and it was very evident. And like, I, I think the th- my biggest takeaway from the weekend is, is yes, they lost two games. One of them was a blowout. Yes. They got all these injuries, but a Will Richardson got himself into a groove this weekend. Khalil uh, Quincy Guerrier got himself out of the funk that he's been in. He was really good. He was excellent um, this weekend against Villanova in particular. Mm-hmm. And then Khalil Ware broke out. And if you're looking for positives, those three guys are all trending up right now. And if you can just get Dante back and you can get Gabe to give you 10 minutes a game for the first next couple of weeks, this team's got a chance to, to do some stuff. Are they going to beat UCLA? No, I don't think they are. But they've got a chance to, you know, to really make some strides here because that Villanova game, I think, was huge from just from a confidence standpoint. I also I, I don't mind that Oregon only has six scholarship guys to go with. Like Dana Altman's teams are always better when they're there are eight guys maybe total. Um, he just knows how to allocate those minutes, knows when to take guys off the court. Um, and a player like Richardson, I know that he you know was never taken off the court, but I, I think that's when Dana Altman's at his best is when he has a guy who could potentially go all forty minutes and run the offense with whoever it is else that's that's with him on the court. Um, Again, they need to get healthy. Will Richardson needs help, whether it's Rigsby or Kuznard or Bartholomew. One of them needs to come back and just give him some some time to sit on the bench and drink a Gatorade or two. Um, but I, I do like that they're that this short rotation has shown that they have no no quit in them. They fought really hard this weekend. I know they like like Matt said. I know they lost to Michigan State, but Michigan State's a good team. Um, beat Kentucky, took Gonzaga to the wire earlier in the year. Um, I just I, I really liked what I saw from from Will and Kalel. Um, I think it could be I think it could be okay, even though with all the injuries. Yeah, that's a good point about the rotations. It's something that probably is you go back and you look at. You're you're probably going to be spot on there. Um, to we probably should wrap this one up because we could go a full twenty more minutes about basketball, and I don't want to leave the women's out. Let's save that for. Um, yeah later this week because there's a lot to get to for both sides. Um, Eric and I talked a little bit on the way back from, from Corvallis. Uh, we've talked, we've watched what happened in Portland. So there's a lot to get to on both the men and the women's basketball programs. We'll do that later this week, but until then you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, 
and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.